Yeah, this is Blackcast Episode 2, Our Racial Identity and Yours, dear viewer. Um, yeah, we're joined by um, our two lovely guests. I'm Mika. And I'm her sister, Camille. And of course, I'm Jazz, uh, pronouns they, them. And I'm your host, or sort of co-host, not like the host this day. It's more Denzel this week, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can say that host, co-host, um, I'll be taking a more passive role this week. Um, and really excited to have our amazing guests on today. Yeah, with that, um, I guess we should start with just how we're doing with this. I guess we're living not in a new America, because I feel like things are just sort of winding down after the election, but like, um, things have changed a bit. Um, and I guess we discussed that just for a slight like maybe maybe five minutes. You want to spend like a couple minutes on that, Denzel? Sounds good. All right. Um, how are we all feeling with the world right now? It feels a little heavy. A little heavy. I mean, I think with the like election results so far, at least it's like a little hopeful because I was thinking like the worst of the worst, but definitely still feel the same. As I've been feeling. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Camille? Yeah, I'm trying to think how do I feel? Because I think right now I do agree with Mika. It does feel heavy, but it also feels really like the calm before the storm. You know, like what you were saying, Jazz, how everything kind of wind, like is winding down after the election. But we know that like change is here and I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing so it's kind of like this like <laughs> I don't know how to explain just weird transitioning time and it's not like a very smooth transition um I mean I I haven't was it uh I haven't been really paying attention to Trump I mean I think I think uh like Denzel probably told me some stuff yesterday but I really hasn't been like no one's I, I, I mean people haven't been reporting too much on it i haven't seen it on my feed it's been more mostly happy like yeah he's out of office and it's like he's not out of office yet but like i i haven't been paying attention to what he's been saying but uh denzel you want to speak on that a bit maybe um yeah i mean there's two pieces that i mean think to talk about the transition uh yeah basically unprecedented like trump is trying to hold out he like in his world he still thinks he's like one or i'm not i don't actually think his team thinks they're one they've just trying to like sow as much mistrust as possible um so it's weird but trump will be out of office like uh january 20th um so that's weird i'm like cautiously optimistic um it's not just because like oh biden's in and he's gonna like end racism like no it's not that but um there's been some announcements from like pfizer and some vaccine companies some drug companies that a, a early version of the vaccine like could be ready soon um and it's not gonna it's mainly gonna go to healthcare workers first but um yeah like i'm cautiously optimistic and biden's also like appointing a coronavirus team like with actual doctors on it so those are like big things like i, I think people underestimate like i'm cautiously optimistic that maybe by this summer we'll start getting to like a closer sense of normal which is earlier than i anticipated so that's like a good thing um the main reason I bring that up, not just because it's news and it's, you know, the world we live in, but we have a new girl boss in 
the White House. Yay. No, but we're going to be talking about uh, Kamala Harris a bit. Um, <laughs> I just like, I just love the memes where it's just like, yeah, Kamala Harris, our new world boss. And we're just like, yeah, she's a cop. Please stop. Um, area, that's my opinions on it. I'm not, I'm not scared to share that. Um, you know, she's going to be my VP and hopefully, hopefully she doesn't uh, send me to prison. Now let's um, get into the meat of our discussion today. Denzel, do you want to introduce all that? Yeah, so I think for the dear viewer to know about the background of this podcast, Jazz and I, we, we have our late night Xbox chats as we do. Um, and we talk a lot about uh, identity and multiracial identity. And we were thinking, um, you know, as we kind of continue the podcast, maybe the next episode would be on that. And then like, it just clicked in my head. I'm like, you know, it'd be awesome to bring on, like, we should definitely bring on the Crib Sisters. I'm sure they have some insight and perspective um, to share as black women, black multiracial women. Um, and talk about this this issue. So I'm really excited to have y'all on. Um, I think today we really want to touch on, yeah, what is, uh, talk going deeper into like what is blackness, but also like how does that intersect um, with other identities? So I think that's the goal um, of today. Um, and I think I want to segue us, like uh, kind of segue us into like an early discussion um, and talking about like childhood. Um, would love to hear about y'all's childhood discuss that a bit and as well as um socialization um you know i'm i come from a social background i think camille too it was like a, a social major so like we definitely like understand that like you know as folks are raised like they're both they are they do have their own self but you're a product of your environment and how people interact around you and treat you um so i wanted to start off with that um and i think a, a early question to pose to each of you is kind of like do you remember, was there like a, a concise moment when you first started to realize when you were a kid or even a teenager, um, you know, something about your identity um, and something about um, kind of being someone who stands in multiple worlds? And anyone can take that super loaded question. Yeah. I was like, yeah, just unpack like your childhood, <laughs> unpack your trauma. So easy, but like just throw that out there. I think it's hard because I, I just made a realization this year that I suppress so much. Um, but my mom did share me an experience back when we lived in Cleveland. I was like three or four years old. Camille's a year and a half younger than me. Um, and we were at the park and our first language is actually Japanese. And so we grew up like close, like really close with our mom. Our dad was like traveling a lot. So Japanese is our first language. So my mom was telling the story about um, us at the park. And I guess I was trying to play with this girl and she was basically just like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, I, we're not gonna, we're not gonna hang out because I don't know what's going on. Um, and that's something I personally don't remember, but my mom shared me that story. And I'm like, whoa, this must have been like the first time of like feeling not belonging. And I definitely have found myself like suppressing those feelings. And this is like the first year where I'm trying to like head face on and be like, yo, what is going on? Why do I? Um, react in situations in, in these type of ways. Yeah, really. Um, I like I like your questions, Enzel. As much as it's like, like, oh my god, like my childhood. That's a lot to unpack. But <laughs> I really like that because, like Mika, I'm also realizing, um, like, just being more in in inquisitive is that the word of my um triggers like tr like investigating why do i react why do i feel a type of way when um 
I don't know, someone makes an assumption about me or, you know, or like, why, why do I get so affected when someone says like, um, like, oh, I don't know. Or like when people, you know, especially when people question my blackness, even or when people question my Japanese-ness, depending on where I am, like I get so pissed off and I'm just like, why am I taking it so personal? And I think a lot of it is um, like, what, yeah, like when we were growing up as kids, we were all our friends were Japanese because my mom was like the main person that you know, raised us so all our play dates, like all her friends were Japanese. So then our play dates were Japanese. And in school, like all our Japanese friends were in our classes. So we had our little Japanese gang. But the whole time, it was like me and Mika were always having to just like prove, oh, sorry, I got a little excited, prove our, that we're Japanese the whole time. And it's, and it, and it, like when I, when we first moved to San Diego, which is where like we we're a bunch of Japanese people, like I did not ever really question my Japanese or blackness. Like I was very comfortable with that. And then when I started, you know, being socialized by my friends, it's it was kind of like, oh shit, like I don't look like my friends. I don't have straight hair. I don't have um, like, I don't look Japanese. So, you know, I would, I'd find myself always getting to fights with my friends that I am Japanese and like having to overcompensate my Japanese-ness by like, for example, you could cut me off if I'm talking too much. I'm like rambling. But when we, um, we had chopsticks, um, chopsticks for our lunch and my, this girl named Arena, I remember her name, you could bleep it out if you want, but this girl, she was my friend, my friend of me in like, it was like kindergarten or maybe like, no, second grade. She was like my friend of me and we're eating lunch together. And she's like, why are you holding the chopsticks like that? Like, you're so American. Like, you're not like, you're not Japanese because you don't know how to hold chopsticks correctly. And I was like, wow. Like I, first of all, I didn't know I was holding chopsticks wrong because you know, it worked for me, but I guess I'm not holding it right. So then I spent the whole day after school, like practicing doing chopsticks correctly to the to the point where I was like perfecting it, like Mr. Miyagi, like catching it with flies. Like I was able to do, you know, like hold it like that. And um, yeah, and then I was, every time I had two sticks, I would just be like showing off that I'm know how to use chopsticks, you know? And then when I was older, like after, elementary school and we went to middle school and high school I was around more black like all my friends are black or mixed with like black mixed with something else but um, mainly black and um we and my friends weren't Japanese anymore and um I found myself again having to like I didn't ever question my blackness but then now I'm like people, my friends are telling me oh you talk like a white girl or like oh you're you're so naive like you're not really, you're not really black, like blah, blah, blah. And so then I found myself overcompensating in that way too, like by being like, you know, this is my dad or I don't know, or like, I know Kwanzaa facts because our dad was like super into Kwanzaa. So I would be like, you know, I'd be like, I know these fa facts about like black people, like you probably don't know. And I was just like really just aggressive with my identity. And so I think now I'm like, okay, all my triggers is like from like those times. And now I'm just kind of like not taking 
trying to learn not to take things so personal because it's like they don't know my life and yeah yeah Camille like that definitely it was your rant but like that's the space we want we want this to both kind of be a venting space and also a discussion space so that was really helpful and I, I want Jazz to talk as well but just initial reacting like I think this is something that Jazz and I talked a bit about mm -hmm. in terms of like I know Jazz will touch on this is like wanting like having to like overperform or yep. really trying to like overperform or overreact to either prove you know in your case your blackness or your Japanese-ness but um, you know, and, and sometimes in our cases, our blackness, like that is, it's this weird burden that's placed on us. And I feel like for me, it's like a moment that I have, and maybe y'all have had this, but it's like, eventually it just clicked. I was like, man, fuck y'all. Like, I know who I am. Like, this is my identity and I'm not letting anyone, especially you white people define, um, who I am and what my identity is. And like, I feel like that's such a liberating moment, but that's really helpful. And also even seeing like the contrast between you, Camille and Mika, like Mika's like, I was on the playground, like just speaking Japanese, which sounds like super Japanese to me. And then Camille, you're like, yeah, all our friends are Japanese, but we still have to prove it. I'm like, man, y'all seem really Japanese. I've heard y'all speak Japanese too before. I was like, you seem like you've got like both um, cultures, but that's very frustrating. Um, Jazz, definitely want to hear what you have to say. And, and um, um, So I think my, uh, association or my like childhood is very similar to uh, Camille's where um well not Japanese uh I'll say this to the dear viewer or uh listener I am uh so I identify as black and Filipino um there's a lot more to that to my dad's lineage and definitely more to that to my mom's lineage but I pretty much claim black and Filipino because it's a lot easier to talk about I hate I used to hate doing this when I was a kid someone asked me what are you and I because, I, I I mean, people look at me now, I think they think I'm pretty much black now. I, um, but as a, I pretty much grew up as, like, an Asian-American or as a, a a kid that looked brown and Asian. That's what I would say. Um, but um, to my point about my childhood, I wanted to bring up was... Uh, I grew up in a very, like, multi-ethnic and multi-racial, like, group. But also it was very highly... Um, like at home, it was very multi-ethnic. Like, um, I had, like my family, it's not just black and Filipino. We have a whole bunch of people at home and my friends, my, my family friends, like my, you know, like, you know, my uncles that aren't my uncles and my aunties that are not my aunties. Like they're all different, different backgrounds. But at school, that's where I got, um, that's where I learned, like, um, where I pretty much found out that I was like black or just different. Um, I, uh, I went to a mostly Chinese run uh, daycare. Um, everybody spoke Cantonese. Everybody was learning Mandarin. And, um, if you're speaking English, it was, you, so there was like, there was like, the, there was like the, uh, the side of the, the preschool that was like the non-Chinese kids and they're the, actually the minority. It was hilarious. And then there was the, like, you know, just the other Chinese kids. And I had to either pick, I mean, I liked hanging out with both sides. I mean, I was sort of in a weird, thing because like i think they could tell i was asian because probably because they saw my mom but they didn't see me as fully asian and it got to a point where i like legit learned cantonese and i learned mandarin just so i could speak to them and like communicate properly and but they would keep doing this thing where they push me out because i'm not doing this right i'm not doing this right i don't have this proper you didn't pronounce or you didn't enunciate that properly or you didn't use a tone properly in that word and it's just like it, it was just a whole bunch of gatekeeping. And then I was just, I, I had one person, a couple of um, daycare 
um, caretakers. They just tell me. It's like, yeah, it's because you're black. Like, they actually just put it down. Like, there's a couple who were just like, oh, I don't know. The kids are funny. And But then, like, there was, like, the one who was very good to me. She was, uh, she's someone that's still in my life. But she um, basically was just like, yeah, you're brown. Like, they, they, they think you're weird. Like, they don't like you. It doesn't matter how you talk. They're going to try to. And I was bullied a lot um, just for being different and trying to, like, engage in their space. But there's, like, there's just this huge barrier. Um, that's pretty much how I learned I was black. And then I started going to, like, a mostly black private school. So that was a huge switch for me. I went to a black private school, like, a black Catholic private school. It's, like, mostly black, partly um, um, Latinx, and then... I think there's like one white kid, honestly. Um, <laughs> the uh, and it was very weird to me because that's where I had to like sort of figure out my blackness. Because I um, I see my my sister didn't my sister she's also um, she's also yeah of course she's black and Filipino but she um, she identifies I think more with the black side of like she she could fit better into blackness than I could because I grew up you know playing with like you know, Chinese kids playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and, like, uh, watching anime and, like, um, just whatever the Chinese kids were into at the time. Like, it was just something I was, I was doing. And it kind of, like, it, it kind of was a weird barrier. Another barrier to cross was, like, uh, or, like, you know, breakthrough was just being around more black kids. And I was just, like, I don't know my, like, black identity. And this is, uh, and this is, um, uh, like, when I was five to, like, eight, um, and probably until, like, middle school did I actually try to get it down or try to figure out, like, what that was about. Um, I still, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say I still struggle with it. I think I know where I am now. But um, it, that's how my early years formed. Basically, I just, it was just, like, first I got to figure out if I was Asian. And then I figured out if I was black. And then um, uh, either, I think at one point I just sort of, like, got rid of both. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I'm just myself. And now I'm just like, no, I'm all, I'm all those things and it's great. But... It was a really big struggle. Um, uh, growing up in Oakland around Chinese and black people was just super confusing, um, especially for the early 2000s. That's what I would say about that. Unless, yeah, unless anybody has any questions about that. Well, firstly, thank you for sharing your experience, Jazz. I feel like that's always important to bring into the space. And thank you to all of y'all, because I know as some of these memories, we might laugh about them, but at the time they might've been deeply traumatic. So I just want to bring that into the conversation um, and sharing that perspective. I'll see y'all are out here like, yeah, I was a kid speaking like Cantonese, Mandarin, Japanese, like speaking all these languages. You know, I, was, I, I, I wasn't doing shit when I was a kid. I was eating McDonald's <laughs> and going home and watching Yu-Gi-Oh. But um, yeah, just bringing that in. But I don't know if there's any reaction to what Jazz is saying. Yeah, I was just wondering, Jazz, like, um, cause you said you're, you and your sister have a different, um, like, I guess I forgot what the word is. It's like a fancy word about how you hold your, like what identity you wear. So like your sister kind of wore like her black side more and like kind of wore that more comfortably. And for you, it was kind of like, eh, like well, neither low key. So, so oh, yeah. it was, it was a lot easier for me to be the Asian kid than it was for me to be the black kid growing up. Like, if you see a picture of me, like, I, I can send you a picture of me when I was a kid. You can look at my Instagram. Like, I just, I looked like a little, like, brown boy of ambiguous ethnic and racial identity. Like, it's just, I, I don't look like a, like, a, I, I don't think I looked like a black child. Like, 
whatever that means, you know, like, like what we describe that as. Like, no one would say, that's a black kid. Unless you saw my dad holding me, he going, hey, I love my son. Like, you know, it's just like, it this just wasn't like, so it was, it was easier for me to like, just be like, yeah, I'm the Asian kid. Like, especially when I was in the black uh, private school. Um, oh, I, I forgot to bring that up. So I went from private school from like until I was eight, like until I was eight. Then I went to a almost all Chinese like elementary school from like third grade to fifth grade. So then it just, it just like fucked my head. I was just like, I gotta, I'm just going back and forth and it sucks. And then, yeah, then Brewer, then when we say Brewer was mostly, I feel like we were mostly, I feel like everybody was trying to be black at uh, in middle school. Like even if you were Asian, I feel like. You, you mean all ethnic groups? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the tendency was towards, this is a larger question, but like black slash hip hop, which is like a broad like culture. Like that was generally the trend in middle school. So, yeah, I mean, my point was just that I'm, I was just confused to shit as a, like, you know, who should I identify more with and like what, like, where do I fit in? Um, it's because, like, you know, my my sister, I guess she just had an easier time with it. Um, she, I guess she has more black, like, phenotypical traits. No, she has, like, she looks more black. Um, so she could just do it better than I could. And I think she grew up differently. So, like, she, I think she grew up mostly around black people. So she didn't really have the Asian upbringing that I have. So we're, like, we're, 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 we're both, we're both, like, you know, multi, like, we're both multiracial people and but um we have different experiences that shape like how well we could fit into those sort of identities um yeah yeah it's funny just because now you're saying this and i'm thinking about that uh picture izzy took where i was like izzy you look like kamala harris here it's just like really funny like yeah. um, thinking that. about that like um <laughs> She really did. But she really, she really liked it. I mean, she kind of does, but yeah. like, that's um, just so y'all have an idea of what. Also, Camille, hopefully, hopefully I, I just ranted. Hopefully, I just answered your question, maybe. <laughs> now I got, well, I, well, because at first I was going to ask, like, oh, maybe like your, maybe your sister was closer to your mom or dad and then you were closer with, and that kind of, but then I feel like also it's like how y'all look, like kind of people put that kind of, late like kind of oh shit is he's in the chat <laughs> my sister's in the chat <laughs> like she's listening <laughs> oh god we're talking about you is he um that's funny um i will say that we do so we did have different um we did we so we we have we have the same moms different different dads i'd say her side like were who she grew up with was just more black and then i it's hard because like my, my father is black. Um, my mom's Filipino rap and I don't, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was very close enough to my mom to say that at like, I grew up like I, sometimes I actually feel like I'm not like fully Filipino. Like, I mean, like I started hanging out with my Filipino family a little more later down the line, but honestly it's confusing. Cause like I grew up basically Chinese. <laughs> like, um, cause I was, a, I was at the daycare for so long and then I was at, um, elementary school for so long and just hang out with the same people. A lot of those people transferred to the same school and then we just like, and it was just a lot easier to like, I felt like I was closer to them despite me not literally being of that heritage at all. Like I'm, I'm not Chinese, like no part of me is Chinese, but I just grew up around them. Um, 
and I didn't know what a Filipino person was supposed to be like. I, I, actually, that's 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 a big point. I don't I don't even I, I didn't really know what a Filipino person was to be like um, growing up because I I mostly we didn't really interact with that side of the family until like I'd say until everybody started coming like started immigrating over here. Um, so I just felt more Asian American, but like just not Filipino American, I guess. And then I was trying to discover my blackness. Um, at the same time and it's just it was, it was a lot pretty confusing but basically yeah definitely how we looked and who we grew up around definitely shaped what our identities were i felt like honestly i feel like i was pushed into the asian american role like identity more than the black um early in life did you have conversations around like race with your parents i'm like curious if um trying to think because like i mean i think we definitely talk about it um but like i don't i don't i don't talk about like how confusing it is or how weird it is it's just that's just who we are but like um i can't say this about my dad um he grew up so somewhat similar to me um he's not fully black he's um he's he's mixed uh i would i'll say that but like outwardly i think just like me, since we both don't have hair anymore, I think most people just peg us as black. Um, just, just, just two, two, two black guys. The, uh, um, but my dad, when he was growing up, um, he had very wavy hair, just like mine. Um, like it just when it grows out, it's just wavy. Um, he had to treat his hair to make it look froey and make it look more black, or he would just try to hide it. Um, but that gave him a lot of like it wasn't normal to be to look like that back in the day when he was growing up. So it was just like. If you know, if he didn't look black enough, he was getting bullied, or he got into a lot of fights, or you know, he had to wear a hat a lot, or something. Um, so that's sort of his experience. He was pretty much ostracized until he went bald, <laughs> like, which is terrifying. That's actually kind of bad to think about. Um, my mother, I when I talked to her about it, it seems like she grew up as a like in the Philippines as like a. I don't know, pretty typical kind of middle-class Filipino girl. Um, I don't, I think, I think when I talk, uh, when we talk about color, I think she's, uh, she, she touches on a bit about like, colorism, but I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I know a bit about colorism in the Philippines, but like, I don't think she, um, she really cares too much about it. Um, she's on the lighter side, I would say, but she's like, she doesn't really talk too much about like how, poorly they're like you know darker skin filipinos are treated in the culture but in relation to my skin color honestly that's actually that's a, actually a positive note about me bring, being brought up it's like my parents just always tell me it's like yep you're beautiful your skin's beautiful you're fine like they never said anything poorly but it's like oh you're gonna get too dark or you're, you know you're too pale i think they actually do say a lot of things about me looking too pale sometimes because their experience with me was i was in the swim team and i was very very brown um so like they think it. They think it's weird that I'm getting pale and paler. Because <laughs> like, I'm just staying in the house more. I'm sorry. Like, but like, there's good enforcement with colorism. I feel like, or not with colorism, but just like, there's no colorism. Like, people, are, people in my family are chill. Um, this is. I don't know if y'all want to continue the conversation, but I feel like this is a really good segue actually into like dating and fetishization. 
Um, and we could start with jazz because I have here like jazz experience with their, with their good hair. I don't know if anyone from high school is listening, you know, jazz with when they used to have their pompadour, but anyways, like just to, to give more context, like I've known jazz for a long time. Y'all, we joke about this, like fucking half our lives, we've known each other and jazz, like used to have like kind of feathery hair, like their hair was like different. Um, and like ethnically ambiguous, quote unquote. Um, but like, yeah, jazz wants you to if you want, would like to like kind of reflect on just in general, like your experience in general dating um, to, to the extent that you feel comfortable, but also kind of sharing some of your hair experiences and then would love to open that up and hear Mika and, and reflect um, on Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move into some stuff about hair. It's funny because I'm bald now. Um, uh, there, there was a time where that Denzel brought it up where I did have a pompadour. Shut up, Izzy. She, she's, she's, she's laughing at me in the chat. Um, where um, I did have a pompadour, um, and I was very proud of it. Um, made me very popular senior year of high school. Um, I didn't really fully understand like you know why everybody was so obsessed with it. I know people called me Miguel a lot, and that got confusing. But I kind of owned up to it. I was like, yeah, you know what? Fine. That's it's uh, getting me the attention, and people are giving me good looks. I'm not used to it. Like, honestly, I wasn't used to it. Um, people thinking I look good. Like, honestly, think about that. Like, my entire life, I'm just like, people thought I was, like, this weird freak. And then I got this pompadour haircut, and then, like, everyone thinks I look cool. And I was just like, you guys, like, gave me shit about my hair. And, like, people would say stuff about my hair. Um, they'd be like, yeah, you, you, you know, like, you're black, but then you have this, like, weird white people hair. I'm just like, this feels bad. But, like, um... The, uh, I was going to make a joke about my hair, actually. I remember my mom, like, because I used to go out a lot. I, got, I used to be really bold in senior year of high school because of, like, the popularity and stuff like that. I used to, um, was it my mom would say, hey, I'm, I'm going to cut your hair off <laughs> at night. That's your power. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you're like Samson. If you guys read the Bible. So you're like Samson. I'm going to cut your hair off <laughs> in the middle of the night. I was like, no. And I used to have like nightmares and like being going bald, which now um, came to fruition. The um, thing with hair and me, Denzel, is uh, I think my dad. So my dad's a hairstylist, actually, uh, or he was. Um, so, yep, free haircuts all the time, but he said, he like, he always says, like, yep, you're my favorite client, Jazz, because your hair is just so nice. And I didn't really think about that too much. I mean, like, I think, um, I think I appreciated that he loved my hair, but I was just like, why does he love my hair? And I was like, because it's not like black people hair, so he's sort of like, it's easier to treat, and it's hard, it's like, not as hard as uh, he had for him to work with it. Um, but... Definitely, I think I, I tried to pride myself on my hair a lot. I mean, I liked it as much as I had, like, for as long as I had it. Um, but, yeah, definitely in high school, people were just, like, petting my head a lot. They're just like, oh. I'd say a lot of black women were petting my head. They're just like, yeah, Jazz, you got that good hair. Like, they would say it. And I was like, this is weird. This is very weird. Just, like, getting pet. And then just, like, it's like I just felt like they are going to take it or something or try to run off with it. I was like, I don't know what's up with that. Um, that was the good hair sort of segment. Unless you have any more questions about that, Denzel. Um, did you want to go off this like another point about fetishization? Because I have some funny jokes about that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to to touch on that segment, and then um, I would. I, I think you actually had 
you have you might have your joke, but I think you had some historical context around fetishization that I think of black we were people. About last night. Yeah, specifically of black people. Um, yeah, you okay. had like some historical so, framing that I hadn't quite heard of. I'll, I'll bring that historical context in. Um, and then I'll do my funny joke, which is less funny after we I give the historical context. Um, so fetishization of black people, it doesn't, it didn't start like, you know, it wasn't a recent thing. It didn't start in the nineties or the eighties or seventies. Like it, it goes all the way back to black enslavement. And we're not, I'm not talking just about like, um, white slave owning men, like, you know, raping their, like, you know, like raping their, um, um black uh, enslaved women it was it was a lot of like i think we talked about it last week or like before the, this session um there was this weird thing about just just being entranced by black bodies back in the day and it happened from the abolitionist side and the um and the slave owning side like there's erotica on both like literal written erotica in journals written from both slave owners and abolitionists there's like you can look this stuff up it's it's um it's very disturbing it's like black uh like you know slave owning women just like fetishizing black men's bodies just being like oh yeah they're like they're like um they're like i don't know achilles like bronze achilles they're like beautiful blah 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 and then um you would see sort of the similar things um and uh, go actually, I want to go back to that point because they would also fetishize like mixed uh, or like you know um, half white um, or just like yeah mixed um, slaves as well. They just they would they they were really entranced by that. So that you know uh, fetishization of mixed um, black bodies is also um, historical, like from enslavement. And then, um, but you also had the abolitionists uh, saying similar things, like you know to get people on their side. They're just like oh yeah. I really want, like, you know, it's like, you know, you gotta save the black bodies because they're beautiful and we should love them and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is, a, I guess it helped, but it's also very creepy. And it's not the narratives that we're ta taught in high school, of course, but I feel like we should know a little bit about that and we should own up to it. Because um, that's where this all comes from. That's why I'm getting pet in the head sometimes. And that's also why this is the joke I was going to say. Um, when I was in, I think, this is the first time I was, this, I, this is the earliest memory of me like hanging out with white people ever. Um, I went to a park and there's some white kids, there's a bunch of white girls. They all looked at me and they started chasing me. And I was like, what is happening? And they're all just like, like they all cornered me and they're all like, had their lips puckered and they're trying to kiss me. I was like, I don't want this shit. Get away from me. What is that? And then like, um, I think one pinned me down, but didn't kiss me. But I was just like, please get off me. Like, uh, I was just like, I was just so. I was, so, I was so weirded out by it, and I was just like, I think at one point someone said, get the brown boy, and I was just like, what is happening? Like, why is this happening? Um, so, I don't know if, um, I don't have the psychological or neurological uh, training to to tell if, you know, the white, like, fetishization, like, uh, from slave owners got passed down to these kids, through their genes, because I know trauma gets passed down, but I don't know if uh, I can say if uh, fetishization and like you know the horny gets passed down too. The uh, everybody's laughing. The <laughs> I, I, I I have no idea, but it feels like it though, because that happened a lot. Um, 
that that was my earliest memory of like fetishization and exposure to white people. Um, and so there's some I I don't know how we're gonna structure the rest of this. Yeah. So I. I Oh yeah, uh, I I was gonna say you, you you could go ahead, uh, Camille, if you had something, if you had a reaction, natural reaction to that. Uh, well, I was just thinking about like just like being hypersexualized in the dating world, like kind of like uh, in modern times, and like um, <laughs> to like how it's kind of um, I guess being multiracial, like there was like that Blasian phase that kind of comes in and out like people love blazers people hate blazers <laughs> like i don't know it's like but there was like a yeah there was like a hypersexualization of like blazing women and i feel like in high school it was really um like interesting because i would um just well you know in high school i was very insecure you know because my body's changing and also just everything and um and you know so you start getting like this attention from these guys and then they'll be like oh and she's blasian like she's black and um asian and so you know like that's like the like best of both worlds like you know they'll start saying that and like making me feel special because i'm blasian and like they want to be with me because i'm blasian and it's like when i'm in high school it's like it's creepy like it kind of made me uncomfortable but it also made me feel wanted in the same time because also like you know i was also in high school i was going through a weird time when people were like oh you're this white girl like you you're not black like even though i hung out like it's like i hung out with the black kids but i was never really accepted completely but i felt more accepted within the black folks than the asian folks in high in high school so so it was just like this weird thing and um so then like when guys started you know praising me for being bleached and I kind of felt like finally I felt accepted like because of my identity but then I'm not realizing or like not really digging deeper and being like oh it's not it's not okay because it's like they're they have their own perception of what Blasian means and they have these expectations and all that and um yeah you want to add anything <laughs> i think the whole like expectation is such an important part um the phrase ni puta ni santa is something i always think about which means like not a slut not a saint and that's something i realized i still struggled with like even this past week i've seen i don't know why this is like in a lot of like women's heads right now but like having like the sex talk with your parents and whether you had it or not like really shapes how you view your own sexuality and so I think like for me, like I've honestly like been like felt hypersexualized since I was like a kid. And then so like I always was trying to like suppress, suppress, like just always trying to suppress those feelings. Um, and so I think like even now as an adult, I'm always so overly cognizant of how I'm being viewed, especially by men. And I like find myself like just like like I'm like I'm have this joke now that I'm like I'm basically like a prude and I'm like kind of leaning towards like being like seen more like non-sexual just because I've had this like notion of being like hypersexualized or having expectations of being like a sexual person but then also having like notions of like like when they know like I'm half Asian it's just like oh I have expectations that are gonna be like submissive and quiet and this but then you're black so it's like I want that aggress like aggression and like 
that wildness. And like, I hear those comments all the time from a lot of men. So like, even going back with like the hair comment, like I overthink how I should wear my hair because when I have my hair curly, like there was, there's been times where like guys I've dated have been like, Ooh, I love like your curly, like wild look. And like, I'm just like, huh? Like that's just, <laughs> that does not feel like me. So like, for me, it's like, I like strain my hair a lot just because it just like makes me feel like I could just like blend in and like hide more. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's like a weird dynamic. Like I still struggle with it to this day. Oh, you just like brought out like so much suppression when you said, oh, um, like we're so hypersexualized as kids. And it's like, whoa, like that just opened up so many memories of like really creepy, um, typically creepy older men, like being like, oh, your daughters are so beautiful. Like mixed kids are so beautiful and like blah, blah, blah. Like you're going to be so beautiful when you turn 18. Like those comments, like, you know, happened a lot when we were kids. And I think for me, it kind of was switched. Like I suppressed the feeling of feeling uncomfortable by overcompensating being comfortable with being hypersexualized and then just trying to fit that role even though it was like also really tra not traumatic or I guess yeah traumatic because it's like it's like I feel not true to myself because I'm just trying to over how do you explain it's just whoa like I don't even know how to explain it it's just like suppressed like trying not trying to hide being hypersexualized by being hypersexual if that makes sense not say that I was I mean I guess I was kind of out here compared to Mika but like you know we all we, we kind of like dealt with it in different ways um yeah and I think as black women too like as black women like it's just like so much violence in that like like sexual violence you know and um yeah and I feel like going as yeah, I'm about to go on another tangent, so, but yes. There's, there's a lot to unpack, like in the words of Oxy, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'm hearing like a lot of emergent themes there. I mean, that's a lot. And uh, Camille, going to what you were saying, like, I've definitely seen that myself, either in family saying it or just in general black folks or people in general saying like, oh, look, this mixed child is so beautiful, like definitely holding up a mixed child for one just in terms of like beauty like from having a certain type of curly hair or like light eyes but then also yeah it gets a little weird in, in terms of like oh they'll be like so beautiful when they grow up or something like that uh, I've heard that um I think also it's interesting like I feel like there's this almost I would say it's sort of American like desire I remember there's like a time magazine cover or something of like this is what the average child will look like by 2040 and it's like kind of like a someone with like pretty like caramel skin basically like light brown skin and curly hair there's a lot of things with that because like for one like people actually think like interracial relationships and marriage are much more common than they are they're not actually very common uh, fun fact like it, it's not a super common thing so that's probably not going to happen but like yeah it was it was a hum uh it's so interesting how, how people treat that. And then Camille, what you were saying, I, I, I'm trying to phrase, like, it seems like you and Mika, like on Mika's end, she was kind of trying to be more prude to react to this hypersexualization, go away from it. And then it sounds, I think the words you're looking for, but I'm not sure we're like leaning in, like you're kind of like leaning in, you're like, just, 
you know, if this is how I'm going to be perceived, I'm not sure. I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but like, it seems like you had a dichotomous response to how folks were kind of treating you or, or reading you. Um, but um, oh. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say like outside the hypersexualization part, it was kind of going back to what Jazz was saying about um, like uh, of how of okay like of how people perceive us and then and then trying to decide how we identify or trying to explore our own identity without it being tainted by other people's perceptions and I think um it kind of brought me back to also like when I was like kid I don't know maybe like eight years old maybe at a, a fast food drive-through with my mom and it was after school and I was just like I do not want to be Japanese like I wish I was just black because despite because when we're mixed like or be from my experience it's wherever I go my blackness is in the forefront you know like from in, in America at least you know and um and I was just kind of like, I'm just, you know, uh, what's the word? Yeah, I just, I think I felt more closer with my blackness, even when I was around all these Japanese kids, like I was, you know, identified as black. And then even when I was around other black folks, like I still felt more black than anything else. And I feel like the black community, you know, we do have our like gatekeeping, you know, and I think that's out of also just out of survival to like of being like oh you're not black because you know black people is like this like it's kind of like that um conditioning and then uh, and then also like I feel like with black Americans like I feel like not to speak for all of us but I in my opinion like we are more prone to like I feel like most black Americans had felt like they need to comp like had to prove their blackness in some way or like felt not black enough sometime and so what I'm trying to get here is um like the so yeah then they like I feel like I felt more black and I felt more accepted within the black community despite like the outliers of calling me like um like not black enough and so um I can help you. Like, I mean, it's like 400 years of like our culture constantly being stolen. Even to this day, there's no like every type of thing that like Black people in America want to claim that's ours always gets stolen. Um, and so I think there's just such a unique experience of being Black American. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This might be like not PC, but like this year, I'm like. I can if if I ever like get married, like I feel like I can only be with someone who who is Black American, just because that experience is so unique, and there's really no other culture like this where our culture is constantly being taken. But like we're so proud of where we're from, even if we don't know exactly what that looks like. We like we inside know like what what that is and um and what that looks like for us. Um, and so yeah, I think it's just it's unique to like have to be so proud to be black even though there's nothing really tangible of what it is to be black and so i think it's so interesting that like for every black person in america there has been experience where where we're constantly like am i black enough like like white people have to find what blackness is 
or they try to. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, nah, like there's really no tangible thing of what blackness is. And I think that's something that we just need to like hold on to and appreciate the diversity within being like black in America, um, regardless of like our culture, again, just like constantly being taken away. Yeah, I agree. And like, and like being black is not, um, sorry, Denzel, <laughs> cutting you off. Be- being black is not, um, like just linear it just branches out like okay like I grew up in this neighborhood but then this and my mom made this you know all this stuff and it just it's like a big tree but I think it's also untouchable from the colonizers because as much as they try to steal our like flavor it's just not it doesn't have that je ne sais quoi or whatever it's called <laughs> I literally was gonna say the je ne sais quoi <laughs> Yes, I don't know what I just said. So, um, yeah, I think that's what's beautiful about being Black and, you know, even as a mixed person, like, you know, because we have that, it's not tangible, but it's, it's there. It's not, it's not made up. It's like a thing. But yeah, Denzel, what were you? I mean, I was, I was going to say, that's, you both brought up great points. And that's something me and Denzel were talking about. It's like, yeah, blackness is just whatever black people are doing. It's like not, it's not a specific thing. It's not like a, there's not like a whole bunch of boxes you had to really check or like there's an outline for it. Um, But Denzel, did you want to like go into gatekeeping, I guess, with that? Yeah, I think this relates to gatekeeping, but I actually had a reaction um, to that whole way. And a fetishization thing just came to mind in a weird way, but like, and uh, (laughs) A reaction to what Camille was saying, um, just in my own experience, um, Camille and Mika were saying, like, it's so interesting because I think, like, a lot of Americans are really bad at history, right? Like, they don't understand things. But, like, there's so many things, like, to me, and Obama said this, and I think I, I actually kind of agree with him, like, Black culture is American culture because, like, so much of, like, United States, like, American culture is, like, what Black people have done. Black people have been at the leading forefront of like you know abolition anti-police violence feminism like all of these things like a lot of it is due to like black activists like at the forefront trying to push like making the country better for anyone who is like downtrodden so there's that but also in terms of pop culture like pop culture is us like the word cool like from my understanding like cool is like comes from like jazz spaces it's just like but like someone could say cool you don't like oh yeah cool that's a black person term it's just like a common like american thing but like y'all that came from like like black people made it up, like all these things, they kind of just get assimilated to American culture, but it's like, now that's that's like us. Like we, we define the culture and like, honestly, in the era of globalization, like black culture is the trendsetter. Like I, and this is like a separate episode, but like, you know, in K-pop, like whenever I see K-pop, I'm like, it's so much like it's pulled from hip hop or like from uh, black culture. And I think in general, if you look in a lot of pop music, even if the language is different, like the aesthetic, um, like how much can you just trace to like an Aaliyah music video from the nineties? Like, it's like Aaliyah was like, I think huge for the culture in general. Um, so there's that, like how blackness impacts culture. And also I just had like a funny fetishization thing. I remember we were at like, I don't know if it was fetishization, but like we were at this like day long, I was at this day long retreat at Oxy, just kind of talking, like unpacking like the history of, um, like slavery and, and impacts on the modern day. And professor Ford was there and he talked about how like, a lot of Ivy Leaks, actually their first employees were slaves. And like, it was really interesting. 
But we got into this discussion and we, I think we were talking about like what experiences had we had with discrimination or seeing it. And like, um, there's this one girl, I don't remember her name, but like she was at Oxy and she was just like, yeah, you know, like when, when uh, I was in high school, you know, my, my boyfriend was black. And like, she like said that and then like totally like looked at me, like just kind of like looked at us like, oh, this is like, uh, like a little weird. It's uh, like, well, we, you know, we just face so much like discrimination and like we, we got these stares and I'm like, not to discount, like I'm sure like interracial couples have that, but it was just like the way that she kind of like made eye contact with me. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> um, so that's what I want to touch on. But yes, Jazz, we should talk about gatekeeping, the necessity of it. I think also um, the gender and racial dynamics around blackness. I know something that we had talked, all three of us had touched on a prior call was like, what's the dynamic between the election of like Obama versus Kamala Harris? Like there's kind of like a gender racial dynamic there in terms of like who is accepted into blackness and how and how hard it might be for Kamala Harris to like be accepted into blackness, maybe a bit less so than Obama, even though, but there, there, there's like a, I'm kind of throwing it out there just to close um, up. I don't know if you have some thoughts, Jazz. I wanted to say something about that because I, Denzel, I don't, so my experience with Obama back in the day, that was like when he was starting to run, I think that was like 2007 when like you started seeing stuff in the magazines. It's like, oh, black guy, run for president. We're like, yeah. And um, I don't, I think I remember my dad just going like, ah, he ain't going to win that black so-and-so. <laughs> like, he was, 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 was joking about it, but I don't think he was like ser serious about it. It's like, they ain't going like the black man. Um, but I don't, I remember Trevor Noah had a set, had a bit about it. If everybody, I mean, I'm not a big Trevor Noah fan. Uh, also my camera is getting really fuzzy, but, um, I remember he had a whole thing about like, he was talking about how like he, he heard people say, oh yeah, that mixed black dude, that mixed black dude, he ain't gonna win that mixed black dude. And then like, I don't remember people were saying anything about him being mixed and him being not black. Uh, until he got elected, or like I, I guess going up to it, didn't know what do you like really remember? I Anybody, mean, actually? My, if, if this is my perspective, I don't have like a universal perspective on this or like have studied it, but like I remember like Obama generally being perceived as like being black. Like I knew he had like a white mother, but I think like in my mind, at least as a teen, uh, I was like, oh yeah, you know, Obama's like a black man, and I feel like there are lots of things around him that I think like, you know, like Fox news would tear him apart. Like he wore like a tan suit once. And it was like, I don't know he was like styling or something. And like yeah. Fox news tore him apart or like he had a bunch of rappers over at the white house once. And like, there's all this, like, it's like, Oh, Obama with his hip hop basketball cookout. Like, I don't know. Like I definitely feel like there are so many associations with Obama around blackness. But then like, as I think more, as when I got, when I started thinking more critically about it, I'm like, you know, Obama, I would say black people can't go up and grow up in Hawaii. He grew up in Hawaii, mainly with his white side of the family, from my understanding, like with his white mother and his white grandparents. And Obama talks a lot about how when he was campaigning, he's like, yeah, you know, I always felt really comfortable around like these rural white people. Like I would have conversations with people in Ohio and like it would go pretty well. Like, you know, those are like folks I'm comfortable around. Um, and that's not to say that like, you know, I don't, you know, Obama is a multiracial man, but I, I actually think like he got ascribed a lot of blackness, but I'm like, when you look at it, Obama, like I think associates a decent amount with like with whiteness in different ways um, or at least through his actions. Um, yeah. So I think that's interesting. And I think it's an interesting contrast to Kamala Harris because it's like Kamala, like I know she, she was from, she's from Oakland, lived in Canada and everything, but like people test her blackness, but I'm like, you know, like she went to HBCU, like she went to, to Howard. I'm not sure if she was in divine nine, but like, it's really interesting how I feel like 
people apply a test to Kamala in a way. I, I wanted to say a bit on. about that. Um, the reason why, like, this is even on the docket, uh, or the like, what we're talking about today, um, was because like this has to do with like racial identity, of course. But then also, just I remember just having an argument with my dad like last week about Kamala Harris. Like, it's the same argument every time, just like whether or not she's black, and like. It's very frustrating because it's just like my dad who's mixed and it's me who's mixed. And we're deciding whether or not this person is black because she grew up where she grew up. And it's just like, I mean, you know, it's like a weird conversation to have. It's just like, how, how do we define blackness? And he said it's about culture. And I'm just like, okay, uh, do you know what? I asked my dad. I was just like, do you know what uh, university she went to? She went to Berkeley, right? I was like, no. Also, that there's a lot of black people that go to Berkeley. I mean, there's not a lot of black people that go to Berkeley. There's black people that go to Berkeley, though. But I was just like, no, she went to uh, she went to Howard, right? So I was just like, he was like, oh, well, I was like, who goes to Howard, Dad? And I was just like, black people, people like you. I was just like, yeah, stupid. But I was just like, I, I, I even had to ask him. I was like, okay, so you're mixed in black. Who decides whether or not you're black? Like, he's just like, oh, it's not about how I'm perceived, right? And I was like, yes, Dad, but it's also about how you identify and how you, you know, how you individually want to be, I mean, how you actually, like, you know, what you claim. It's like, I I mean, I know I'll, I know it ends up, we talk about identity politics a lot, where it's just like, you know, there's there's the societal aspect, but, like, a big part of it is the individual aspect. I mean, like, it's even the part about me being non-binary. It's me just, like, I know, well, I don't look like it, right? Because I look like a guy, I don't look androgynous, but it's just like, like, I, if I say it, I am. And that's, that's kind of how it goes into it. But, like, you know, uh, Kamala Harris is black. Like, I don't know why. The, the, there's there's the hoteps and the weird people down on YouTube that my um, dad listens to. And they're all just like, oh, yeah, she's not black because of X, Y, and Z. And then you look at X, Y, and Z and you're like, it's not good. Like, you can be black in... Where she, she grew up in Canada, Toronto. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can be black there. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't see why... Like, I was like, what is the, like, I asked my dad, I was like, what's this, like, t- typical black upbringing that she needs to fulfill those boxes? And a lot of them, my, ar- my dad's argument is just like, oh, well, she only claimed to be black for the election. She she just did it just so she can get better, more votes and more black, more black people votes. And I was like, sure, but it's just like, you don't, you haven't heard her say in her life she's not black her entire life. Like, she didn't go around saying, I ain't black, I'm Asian. Like she didn't, she didn't, she didn't go around doing that for her entire life. It's just like, what's uh, it it, it it's so it's so weird. I mean, I, I want I want to hear your, your guys' thoughts on just Kamala Harris and her blackness. I guess. I feel like it just comes from a lot of fear of you know like black people selling us out and like just Kamala's history of being DA and like putting a lot of like black people into prison and so I'm. I feel like a lot of that stems from that fear, but it is interesting that we do see a lot more attacks on on just like her racial identity, which I feel like at the end of the day, it's kind of like, let's look at policy, like let's just see like what she does before even caring about what she is. Um, but I do think that like a lot of black people are fearful. I mean, like you could take like Condoleezza Rice, for example, who's like kind of on a pedestal of being like, this black woman in such like a high position, but then like her policies really like hurt the black community. And so I think there's just a lot of like fear based, but then I think there are a lot of like gender politics coming into play. And like, I think it, I think black women do have like a harder time in terms of like fitting in 
to their like racial identities more than black men. So strange. It's so strange to think about. Like I'm just I'm thinking I haven't heard of I haven't thought about Condoleezza Rice in like years. <laughs> he brought that up. I was like, oh yeah, that was the other black like politician that we like black woman politician we talked talked about. But it was just like, um, and then I don't know maybe uh, do we feel like talking about Candace Owens and though like she's not mixed so, at all she's just a I, black woman but I, like you know there's there's here, a tax on her and her blackness right and we're, I, we're talking about like where they stand politically and like who they are and how much like i, I don't know but i feel like that's important because like no one attacks her but everybody attacks Kamala harris i don't know like i so i definitely wanted to surface that because i think i had an evolution on this i actually uh i remember i t- like going before i took this course like i was like yeah you like are a certain type of you know, black person who supports certain policies, like, I don't think you're black. And like, I don't know, people, different people have different beliefs. I think it also, I think it's important to like, like Mika said, focus on the policy, like identity is one thing, but the most important thing is the policy. Cause someone could be, you know, selling you a hope and a dream, but like, they're actually like, not great. So that's important, but identity is important too. And I was going to say is like, after I took this class called black political thought, um, when I was in college and it was really good. Like the professor, she challenged us and she made me think she's like, okay, so Clarence Thomas, he's a black Supreme court justice. He's super conservative. Um, like not great, but it's like, is he black or like, is, is Candace Owens black is, is, and you know, whoever. And like my, where I've come, where I've evolved to, I'm like, everyone, like if you're black and like you claim a black identity, like that's you, like, I don't care. Like, regardless of what your political beliefs are, everything you do is blackness. And like black conservatism is a very real movement. It's a very part of the big part of the community and has to be acknowledged and talked about. Um, and it's important. So like, that's where I stand jazz. Like, yeah, Candace Owens is black. Um, you know, it's part of it. I don't agree with her politics at all. Um, I think they're despicable, but um, well, Candace Owens in particular, because she's just a grifter. I don't think she actually believes what she says. Oh, yeah. Like Clarence Thomas does, but Candace Owens is like a grifter. Um, but yeah, so that, all that is to say, and I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts too, but like, where does that kind of line, like, where does the gatekeeping line be drawn? Like, I, I, I heard something recently, like, and he's not black, but like, people are like, this is why we need to gatekeep y'all, because like, Little Pump <laughs> went at a Donald Trump rally, and he was like, yeah, Donald Trump, make America great again. It's like, this is why I need to gatekeep the culture, y'all, and like, can't be letting these outsiders <laughs> in, because they can do dumb shit like this. And also, last thing, Donald Trump, like, he didn't say Little Pump correctly. He's like, yeah, I got a, a rapper here. He's great. A uh, little pimp, little pimp, come out! <laughs> it was like really funny um, uh, layers, but yeah, we'll definitely show. love to hear. Like, where do y'all? Why do you think we draw the line, and and how do we get? <laughs> I think that um, I agree with you, Denzel. I think that like the the buffoons in our community, you know, like their buffoonery is stemmed from their experience of blackness and like you know it's literally a dog eat dog world in america and it's been like that since we came our s's came here because you know we were basically put on like forced to be on survival mode so you know that kind of past like that's and it's still going on today so there's so many black folks that are just talking craziness you know and just anti are just super anti-black in response to their yeah experience and but i do see that that when it's a woman a lot of times they're just like oh they're not black you know like it's so quick versus when it's a guy like herman cain or um what's the other one 
uh, the one who just passed away, you know, like they're not seen as like, oh, he's white, like, or he's not black, you know, they're just like, oh, he's just like a lost one, like we lost him kind of language. Um, and yeah, but I think that with gatekeeping, it's so important. And I, I mean, it's so important to like, because with cultural appropriation of black culture, like we were saying earlier, how we literally built this country's culture without black people, like America would have no culture. We'd be like England, like just plain boring. And, uh, and so I think that <clears throat> like when, when we're constantly our efforts to, to build the culture and to survive cultural death that, and social death that has been happening since we, our ancestors like were like forced in this country to work. I think that um, just letting anyone in and just letting anyone just take our culture without giving us any credit. And then we're seen as like, you know, just we're at the bottom of the totem pole as black people in America and in like the world. It's it's like a survival, like cultural genocide. That shit is so real. And um, yeah, so I can't be mad as a mixed person when people are like, oh, you know, trying to gatekeep blackness, especially like from me as a mixed person, because it's like, I know personally, I'm like, I'm, I'm with y'all. You know, my ancestors also went through, like, you know, I'm still going through ancestral trauma and trying to deal with that too, but also with the privileges of being of being mixed as well. And so, um, yeah, like the art of like, of being part of the space, embracing that space and also giving room for, um, for folks who are, you know, um, fully black and are, have the full black experience. That's just like, so fucked up, you know? You got something yeah. to say to No, actually, go go ahead, Jazz. Because I oh, I, well, I was yeah. I was actually waiting on you. Um, I also want to clarify again. I feel like I have to say this. I didn't say it before. I am not a Kamala Harris stand. I'm just not I'm looking at you, viewer and listener. I'm not, but she's black. <laughs> um, I, 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 I just wish people attacked her more for her policies. Um, more than uh, whether or not she's black. I just don't see why that's half the thing maybe it's because i'm mixed and i feel pretty hurt about that because that's how i sort of grew up and you know people attacking my blackness a lot but like um i guess I mean, that's, that's really all i had about that and i just want to clarify that and also say things about come on yeah um well actually uh i think because we want to be like mindful of time this time or like compared to our first episode, like, I feel like we're kind of drawing near an endpoint, and I feel like we've gone through a lot, but I don't know if there are any closing thoughts or anything, anyone, anything anyone felt like we, we didn't touch on that we really should have gotten to, but I think this has been like a really rich discussion. Um, closing thoughts. I think, I think that, we, oh, go ahead. Oh, good. Oh, uh, like, well, I think the theme is that, you know, black is like the, like what black is, is so, is so diverse. And so what's the word? Bound.
bountiful and abundant. Like blackness is so abundant. And I think that has been my theme this year personally. Like I am abundant. My blackness is abundant. Our community is abundant. And being around black people is just so abundant. <laughs> and so, yeah, this conversation has been really nourish nourishing for me too. Um, just like being the presence of y'all and just be, yeah, just, yeah, blackness is just beautiful. <laughs> and I'm just like, just being able to talk about my own experience helps me to be more, um, just like self-loving and to just really, yeah, I'm just really proud of being who I am. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was beautiful, Camille. That was a great way to like like put a bow on the thoughts like that, like a hundred percent. Like there's just so many different expressions of blackness. And I think I'm here for it, like in all ways, like black people who make anime or like Afrofuturism and like music, movie, like there's just so much. Like there's so many ways in which it can be expressed and can be really awesome. So is that a that a good place to end it here, I guess, for to this week? Or this podcast? I, I don't have any other closing thoughts. I, I feel like I can't. Yeah, I don't know if I can really top that. Like, that was... That was yeah, that was a pretty good, good. way to end it. <laughs> <laughs> we could, I, I could probably just cut it there and then add, a, like, audio track where it's, just, I don't know, something. But, um, yeah. I guess... I, I have to say again, thank yeah. you so much, Meek and Camille. Like, I, like when, I, when I was, like, reaching out, I'm like, I'm not sure if they're going to say yes, but, like, it would be great to have them on. So, like, this is really successful for our first... Um, I'll yes. say he's uh when 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 we were talking about this like we we're just potential episodes like he thought of you guys immediately and I was like oh okay and um, I'm glad it like worked out honestly this is a uh, really happy about this. No, I appreciate y'all because I think like Camila and I I think this is like where our Japanese side comes in where we're always been taught like don't take up too much space don't take too much space but then like as we've gotten older it's like our like it's so important to have these discussions because it counters all the black stereotypes that are out there. And so, yeah, no, I really appreciate y'all for having this space and this podcast and to have room to have really like honest conversations and to go against the grain. Yeah, like I just, yeah, appreciate y'all and really great meeting you, Jazz. Like yes. you're so dope and <laughs> your um, like storytelling is just so relatable and it just helped to tend to make my experience tangible because it's like a lot goes done here and then it and then I start feeling crazy and then when someone else says something that I'm like oh I feel Definitely. that it's like who you know and like Denzel it's just like really good seeing you too like just I remember you from freshman year just like doing things so I feel really honored that you even thought of us to like being your presence of this like amazing show so yeah i love y'all i think i still remember meeting you at the first bsa barbecue i went to at poly <laughs> like oh august 2013 <laughs> uh, oxy a mess on my <laughs> <We're great. laughs> but, yeah yeah all right i think that's a good place to end it um and thank you everybody who's watching and you can, I'm not going to, 
you see on the screen um, where to follow people and stuff. And you guys want to shout out like where to follow you guys if you want to do that. Um, mine's Jax84 on Twitter, JXZZ84 at, um, on Twitter, Denzel, Schema, um, underscore Achebe95. Uh, you guys want to read out yours? Like, where? Um, my Instagram is Mika Cribs, M I K A C R I B B S. And yeah, my Instagram is uh, Cami Cribs, C A M I C R I B S. And then Twitter is Killa Cami, which is K I L L A C A M I I. I'm more active on Twitter right. <laughs> than Instagram. Um, but yeah. Um, thanks for listening and see y'all next time. Put on.